Welcome to the Plebeian Power Hour with your hosts, Tipper and Kim. And today we're going to be talking about the Jonestown Massacre. The Jonestown Massacre, the, the day of the massacre, was November 18, 1978, and 918 people died either from murder or suicide. Yeah, it was it was a big thing, but I think, of course, I love to delve into the how it all started. So I kind of went back to learn about Jim Jones, and Jim Jones was the leader of the group that all ended up killing themselves in Jonestown in Guyana, South America. But he was born in 1931 in Indiana, and he was the only child. He didn't have any siblings. And as he grew up, he turned out to not like any mainstream religions. And so he kind of started his own. But he really liked a church called Father's Divine Peace Mission in Philadelphia. So I want to go back even before that. Oh, really? Well, before the Father Divine thing. So he, he initially was like a, like a Methodist uh, like preacher. Uh, he started was his own. Was he? I didn't, I didn't realize that. He was kind of kicked out of it. Because he's... A little eccentric. He he Incredibly he says eccentric. that he was kicked out because they um, he he was a very racial integration sort of person. Yeah, that and was at a the time, thing for him. That was not really accepted. Right. And he was in Indiana, which was actually I think the uh, like the capital of the KKK. And so he's saying, Whoa. you know, like they don't like me because I'm saying. You know, we should all live peacefully together. They don't like that. And the church was saying, no, he was embezzling funds, and that's why he had to go. <laughs> I don't know what the you know truth was. He becomes like a Pentecostal preacher, and he goes around preaching. But he forms his own church in 1956. But he raised the money to buy his first church by going door-to-door selling monkeys. What? He went monkeys? door to door selling monkeys. How do you get a supply large enough to buy a church? Twenty nine bucks a pop. How do you buy a church? Twenty nine bucks a pop for a monkey, and then have enough monkeys for twenty nine, like to buy a church. I have no I'm, idea. And it's one of those things that I do kind of question. But I saw two sources that said, "Yep, he he sold sold monkeys door to door. Monkeys were there. This a common pet." Back in the 50s? I suspect not. But why he earned bucks. enough money to make a down payment on Whoa. his people's temple, is what he called it. Yeah. So that was in 1956 is when he established his own. And like you said, it was based on this uh, Father Divine. So yes. he kind of modeled his behavior after this person called Father Divine. Which was, according to his followers, it was just more physically intensive like he just became either more animated and more more like intense after patney after father divine but i in 1960 he becomes an ordained minister with the disciples of christ protestant church i didn't know he'd already been one i thought that's why he he did join the the disciples of christ is because i didn't think he could be a minister before so he wasn't an official one and i don't know what the rules are on being an official one 
I don't either. But apparently, like, he had set up his own church, but he didn't have any sort of official thing until he became uh, associated with this Disciples of Christ uh, church, which he didn't really fit with, you know, their teachings, but Mm -hmm. he just kind of joined them to get get legitimate. Yeah, in a sense, his ministry license, whatever that really means, because... I know it's kind of vague. Like it, it seems very vague to me. And 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 honestly, I'm one of the types of people that, uh, what what do you need a license for? Yeah, you know, I don't <laughs> understand the licensing aspect of of this, and yeah. it brings a lot of weird questions up. But he, in 1964, I think it was, it was when he became kind of legitimate. Well, he had people, so he starts his own church, right? The People's Temple. The People's Temple. And then he's having people sign their homes over to the church. And he he threatened people that if they would, like, leave the group, because remember, this is a very integrated church, that people would put them in ch- concentration camps. Like, he was very already, even at the very beginning, fairly aggressive with the members of his congregation. Yeah, so one of the things that he was preaching was that the U.S. was uh, a fascist state and all, you know, black people or undesirables or whatever were going to end up in these concentration camps. Yeah. And so... And he had adopted the very first black child from white parents. I mean, white parents to adopt a black child in 1961. So he had a black child at this time. And he also had adopted, I think, three Korean uh, children. He called his family, like, the Rainbow Family... Uh, he and he really seemed to be, you know, preaching this, you know, racial tolerance and that we should all live, you know, together. In in fact, he kind of moved away from, um, you know, like religious teachings to more socialist communist teachings. Oh, interesting. And so he even wrote a, because this is this is Vietnam War time. Like this is. Yeah, so and that communism isn't a message most of the people want at this time. And he also starts saying, you know, America's going to be destroyed by a nuclear, you know, Armageddon. And so he's looking for places to hide from that. So he finds Northern California is a good spot. So that's where he kind of moves. But he also starts looking elsewhere outside the U.S. and he. He ends up thinking Brazil initially, and he takes a trip down well, to Brazil. Do you Brazil. know why he wanted to leave the United States? I love that we both know different facts about this, and they're filling in because I didn't know all that stuff. But he was afraid because of all of the assassinations. He was afraid that their group was going to be a target because Kennedy, uh, Robert Kennedy, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, like all those things were happening in the late 60s. And so he was really afraid so he started looking outside of the united states yeah so he had initially went to brazil and at the same time he went to brazil he went to um guyana and that was not his first choice uh but that's ultimately where he ended up but he he ends up he goes back to you know california and he spends a lot of time in uh california so he's up in this place called ukiah which is about i think 200 miles north of san francisco yeah and he kind of sets up a commune yes. there. And he really is, 
leaning to be more he he still preaches and he was a full on uh healing sort of preacher. Oh. So you can go see people would talk about the stories he would heal cancer. So somebody would be all of a sudden, you know, I sense somebody's got cancer and some uh people were in the bathroom and they come out with a bag. My cancer is in this bag. And they would have bits in there, chicken bits. And they would go out to show everybody the cancer. Gross. (laughs) He did all sorts of those sort of, you know, healings. He did the... Yep. (laughs) There's just some times where there's words that aren't going to come. But he ends up, he also starts moving away. He writes this thing called The Letter Killeth where he's saying, you know, look how false the Bible is. But he also, in that same thing, uses the Bible to say that he's the return of the prophet Elijah. And ultimately, he ends up kind of saying, you know, I'm kind of, you know, a prophet, a god, whatever you need me, I'm... I wonder how you get to that point. I don't know. And it gets really odd because he's still using this sort of, you know, healing preacher thing, but also starting to say... That's not the thing. Like communism is. You go deeper than I did. Whoa! I didn't know any of this. So he he's really trying to have this socialist communist commune system going, but at the same time, he starts to realize he wants something bigger. Well, and he's making everybody give him all his stuff. The man is making a bunch of money and getting a bunch of money. That's how they can all go down to Guyana. And rent 3,800 acres of jungle. So so first they go to San Francisco. And they headquarter in San Francisco. And he starts becoming kind of a bigwig. Where he goes to the people who are running for mayor. And starts saying, you know, I can get you 20,000 votes. Oh yeah, because that's how many he said were in his congregation. And, And he even had more people who followed his kind of newsletter and stuff like that. But he's... He kind of allies with these political people in San Francisco, and he helps get the mayor elected. And in return, he gets a position on uh, the board of, you know, uh, I can't remember what it was. It was a housing, I had the name of it, but it's one of the the housing housing authorities in Mm -hmm. San Francisco. He also uh, starts hosting politicians. He has really? a thing for, like, Rosalind Carter comes to town. Because you the have vice, that is 1975. Wife. Yeah. But I have that they moved to Guyana in 1974. So I think he does go down to start setting things up in um, maybe 74, but I don't think they, I don't think big. the Jonestown had started yet. Uh, but, like, he... he like held an event for Rosalind Carter, and he's really? writing things. There's not, you know, any sort of blackmail sort of thing there, but he basically, when she came to town, nobody would have showed up at her event if they were they were like seventy five percent People's Temple members. And so he's kind of hinting, you know, look, I, I I can't remember. You can read the letters. The letters are all kind of public. 
And there's a little bit of a hint there that says, you know, you, you owe us one. And it is kind of interesting because there is that with wow. several other politicians, and that kind of comes into play later. Interesting. Yeah, so... In 1974, like you're saying, he goes down to Guyana and talks with them and purchases or or rents. Yeah, he rented it. Some land. 3,800 acres. And it was something like 10 cents an acre. You know, like it's a really cheap land. And there's a reason for that because it's out in the middle of rainforest. (laughs) It is. It is. It's it's essentially part of the Amazon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And nobody lives there and the people in Guyana want you know they want Guyana to become a bigger place they're they're actually happy to have people who are willing to go do this because nobody who lives in Guyana will go out there and settle out there because the land is so terrible so they're happy that somebody is willing to and there's also a huge other political thing that goes into it but they're happy that they can get anybody who's willing to to go develop. develop this land and it's about 150 miles from the capital of Guyana named Georgetown. Yeah, and it it's not easy to get to at all. So it's 150 miles, but they say like it takes six hours to get there, and some of what? that is by boat. So you travel up this river. Really? And then the road into Jonestown is pretty terrible. And what's interesting is there are a ridiculous number of transcripts that are available to read from like Jim Jones, his, you know, his sermons, his life in Jonestown, whatever. But when they're building Jonestown in one of the transcripts, they're talking about the road and how terrible the road is and that they should fix the road. And somebody's like, I don't think we should fix the road. Well, why? Well, because it makes it hard for people to get in. Like nobody can, you know, just come into Jonestown, and they're like, oh, that is a good reason not to fix yeah, the road. because they were, they had sort of turned into this paranoid group. One of the reasons they left is because, you know, they thought they were going to be targeted because of their integration and because people had been killed, and, and they were really afraid of, of the government, and they were really afraid of people trying to attack them. It was one of the reasons they moved so far away. And then... Uh, in 1977, yes. do you have that the article? No. I have a whole other thing that started in 1977. You well, go first. So what I was going to say, and there's a whole lot that's going on. There's still, and a lot of what they do, they are, they have like legitimate, um, you know, feed the poor. Like they're helping oh, out yeah. more people in San Francisco fabulous. than the city is. Mm-hmm. So the city is like super happy that they're there because they're out there feeding doing good. the poor and they're doing a lot of actual really good things and they seem, you know, pretty effective at it. But there are a lot of people that join that then, you know, want to leave Yes. And that's where problems start happening. I'll insert mine because mine kind of segues into that. So there's a couple, and they're named Tim and Grace Stowen. And they join when the People's Temple is still in California. And they have a son in 1972. And Tim says that he was 
forced to say that Jim was the father of this son named John. So Grace leaves when they're still in California, but Tim still stays with his son, John. But then eventually John leaves. But because Jim Jones is listed as the father of John, then John gets to have, I mean, gets to, has to stay with Jim. Yeah. It's very confusing. Tim, Jim, John, and Grace. (laughs) But then, so, so John ends up in Guyana with Jim Jones and his parents are still in the United States and they want him back. So they start getting all of their resources together. They go to the government. They do a lot of... um, Yeah, there's a group that call themselves the Concerned Citizens. Oh. Or Concerned Relatives, actually. Oh, mm -hmm. The Concerned Relatives are all former or even potentially current members of the People's Temple who kind of get together to uh, try and let people know what's happening inside the People's Temple. But one of the things that happens as well in 1977 is there's an article that comes out that that gets released, and there's kind of a history to this. Is there, There's a magazine called The New West, and The New West is trying to get this article published. They've been working on it for a long time, and they get, like, threatening phone calls from, like, the People's Temple members saying, you know, if you release this, you know, we're coming after you. And uh, the the paper doesn't, you know, basically kind of refuses to release this story. And then it gets bought by a fellow by the name of, like, Rupert Murdoch, mm-hmm. who you may have heard of. And then they decide to release the story. And so then the story comes out, and it talks about all the things that people are saying are happening happening inside the People's Temple. And it has some names of people who were former members who say, yeah, you can use my you know name. And it puts some legitimate criticism behind the People's Temple that it never really had. Well, after that article, Jim Jones leaves to Guyana and doesn't come back. And that also is one of the things that gave these concerned relatives kind of rallied behind it saying, look, there's others of us. Let's all get together. So they start contacting their, you know, Congress people and other Mm -hmm. things, including a fellow by the name of Leo Ryan, who was a congressman in California. But it was, it was, so what they did too, particularly with John, and I believe there are other storylines that happen at the same time, is the parents go to the U.S. courts, and the U.S. courts say that Jim has to return John. And he's like, no, because now he's in Guyana, and he doesn't care. And um, so Grace and Tim go down to the Guyana government and ask them to get help for their son, John, to get him out of the compound, and they don't. But this word gets back to Jim Jones at his compound that they're trying to get him back and they're asking the government. Yeah, because Jim Jones actually has a really good relationship with the Guyana government. And so when anything kind of happens, they radio into Jonestown to let them know. Well, and the the church, the People's Temple, also has that 
that home base person in, in Georgetown, Georgetown who communicates with them. Yeah, so they have a radio station there. So there's no telephones in Jonestown. So they have a radio communication that they use. So if you wanted to go into Jonestown, you fly into Georgetown, you have to get permission. So they radio in and then they'll, you know, nope, you're not allowed. Sorry. It's still like, even if you look up where this place is, it's not super clear even now to look up where Jonestown was because, and I imagine it was very hard to find back in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, like I suspect that back then, you know, like now it would be pretty easy to find because you pull up Google Earth and find the coordinates and, you know, you'll find it. But back then, none of that stuff existed. You're not getting out there without some help. Mm -hmm. And the roads, like I said, the the way that you would get to Jonestown from Georgetown is you take a boat up the river or there was also uh, an airfield not too far from Jonestown. That, so you'd fly there, but fly it's not. Airplane. There's no airport. There's an airstrip, and so you could fly there and then drive. And then the drive was only I can't remember how many miles it was. It was still like, um, it was still like a lot of miles, but it took a long time because the roads are so terrible. Yeah, you have to go so slow. But what happened is when this when this occurred, and I I have a really hard time wrapping my head around this. I don't know what Jim's Jones's intentions were regarding this, but then he faked the six-day siege. Did you hear about this? Yeah. He faked it. He faked that the government, I don't know if it was the Guyanan government or the American government, but he pretended and had all of his, his followers, pre- like, not, so most of the people don't fake. know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, there are think, a few. So he has, I think he calls them like lieutenants and stuff like that. So he has a select group of people that know and that are involved. And in this six-day siege, what they do is they go out in the surrounding jungle and they start firing guns. <gasps> they actually did fire guns? They fired guns. Because they were just pretending that there was an attack from the government. Yeah, so they're not firing into the... They're just firing guns so that people can hear gunshots. And then they're saying, do you see that out there? That's that's the CIA, that's the U.S. government coming after us. And they did that for six days. And there, there's a lady whom is absolutely insane, I think. No offense, because she's still alive, but maybe a little... She didn't know better, so let's just add that. Her name's Angela Davis, and she's in the United States, and she is encouraging these people to, you know, stand strong against the government, and um, she didn't know it was fake. They didn't know it was fake. I will give her that. She's done, like, a lot of stuff that that is really interesting, including writing a letter to Jimmy Carter and asking him not to to get the little boy John out of the compound. And so it was, there was just a lot of people who really believed this was happening and they stood around trying to protect this compound for six days. They thought they were under attack. And I just think, I he does a lot of things where he's trying to prove people's loyalty and so that's essentially what it was, because when this is over, he's got a few really hardworking people, and he, like, is like, thank you to these people, and he honors these people. And 
Yeah, because that, that entire Jonestown was built by People's Temple yeah. members. And some of them came out and they were working forever to build this, you know, carve this, you know, small little town out of the rainforest. And it would have been ridiculously hard. And they're working, you know, 12 hour days, six hours or six days a week to to do this. And he does kind of, you know, call out, you know, special thanks to all these, you know, people that are doing this. But going back to, you know, you mentioned the stones and you got right. the kid that was essentially, but, but then there you, were a lot of other people who came yes. forward with similar stories. And Leo Ryan, Congressman Leo Ryan is the one who gets a lot of this because his job was, he was, um, oh no, where's my notes? He was on a committee that was responsible for U.S. citizens living abroad. Yeah. So he was kind of responsible in his government. On, I think it's the House Committee on Foreign Affairs or something like that. Uh, but he is sitting on that committee and he brings up to them, look at this, I've got this group of uh, concerned relatives, which I think there were some like 20 of them, and they are signing these documents saying, here's the stuff that we know of. And so you had that uh, Tim uh, Stowen who's saying, he's got my kid, he made me sign. So he had to sign a document after the kid was born that said, uh, turns out this was actually Jim Jones's. And they asked him, you know, well, why did you sign that? And he said, well, I didn't think it would have any legal basis. And I knew that if I didn't, then I was out, you know, of the people's temple. So I just signed it. But there were a number of other people that stepped forward with, similar stories and people are saying you know hey they said my kid was going to go to Guyana for two weeks he's been there for months and I can't contact them he won't you know they won't tell me what's going on they tell me I can't visit and he's they're getting all sorts of stories of people saying you know they're kidnapping people they've got our family members so he brings it up to this committee that he's on and finally they end up giving him approval go down yeah so he asks for an invitation and he is denied but then jim jones says you know what actually come on come on in so then he comes in and it's kind of funny because and <laughs> he got, he asks people on his committee to come with them and everyone's like no no and one of those people was dan quayle oh really <laughs> yeah yeah, I didn't know Dan Quayle was part of that. But. Uh-huh. but a lot of people who came with him were members of the media. Yeah, so when they actually went down, I think there was a group of 18 people that went down. Some of them were part of these concerned citizens. So they were or concerned uh, relatives. relatives. I keep saying citizens. But the concerned relatives, so there were a few members uh, of family members and then you had members of the media, including like an NBC camera crew. Mm-hmm. And there were, you know, reporter from the Washington Post, a bunch of other people all decided to go down there because there was this big, you know, story that broke in the magazine. So this is now like national news. It's a kind of a crazy story anyway, as these people decide to go start the this, you know, commune-style uh civilization out in the middle of the rainforest and they're U.S. citizens that are going down there and building a town. So you have a lot of kind of crazy stories that have been told about People's Temple, about kidnapping and other things like that. So a lot of media decides to go down with 
this Leo Ryan congressman to check on people. And it's really interesting, too. They, for whatever reason, there are, they make tape recordings of so many things. that, And you can, the tape recording quality is terrible. Well, that's all you had at that time. Yeah. You had, like, a gigantor camera. Or you had, like, a... a gigantic like a cassette recorder thing but people have typed up the transcript of all this stuff so before people would come visit jim jones would go coach people on what to say about all sorts of different things and it was really kind of interesting reading some of that because in one of the it's weird that they would record that i that's what i was thinking Mm -hmm. with a lot of the stuff because there's other recordings where they talk about how to smuggle stuff into the country. And they're saying, yeah, if you'll notice, like these rich people yachts, when they come in, no, nobody checks them. Like you can get anything you want in, you know, if you bring it in on these yachts because nobody checks any of these people when they come and go. And they they talk about smuggling stuff. They, they literally talk about how they smuggle money, you know, that. We could, we could take $5,000 strapped to us at a time because if we have more than that and we get caught, then there's penalties, but 5000 is the limit. So we'll put, you know, take $5,000 to each person as they come in so that we can have this money transferred, you know, which they would then put in the, the bank down in Guyana. Wow. And there's... But on these transcripts, he's talking about they've got their town and they've got a residential section and there's this tower between the residential section and the jungle. And he's coaching people on what to say if they're asked about that tower. And it's like three stories and he's saying, okay, so what do you say if you're asked about the tower? Uh, It's going to be a children's playground. We're going to put slides on it and we also use it to look for forest fires. That's good, that's good, but you need to answer faster. And he goes through, and he goes and coaches them. Now, what do you call it? It's a tower. No, don't call it a tower. Call it a pagoda. And they're like, what? He, what was it there for? Uh, the official reason is unknown, but the unofficial but reason is for slides. it's a lookout tower <laughs> so that they can post somebody up there and make sure that nobody leaves or nobody gets to Jim Jones's residence. Whoa. But nobody knows what it, you know, like the official purpose is never documented. There's never any slides put on it. It would not <laughs> work. It's so interesting that they would record the part where they're telling people to lie. Yeah. Like that's... And he talks about it in all sorts of other ways. You know, he says, okay, what are you going to do? If somebody asks about the weather, what are you going to tell them? Well, it's kind of hot. No, don't tell them it's hot. We don't want to give anybody the impression that it's hot. Uh, well, the there's some winds that come through and cool it down. I like that, but don't te- you know? Don't say the hot part. Well, there's rains. Yeah, no, that's fine. And he's just coaching people on how to make it sound like everybody's happy there and everything is nice. And it is so interesting to see the to to read the, you know the coaching that goes on. So he's coaching all these people on what to say when these people show so up. Paranoid. Oh, I. I and he another thing is that he ended up getting on to like amphetamines and stuff. No. So in like the seventies, do not add amphetamines to this man. He uh, he started Ugh. getting on you know am, amphetamines and the oh, some no. people knew you know like he has this group of people that know he he has people that 
put together, you know, his fake, you know, healing cancers and, you know, like people know, and they help him out with a lot of this stuff. But it's so interesting to see how crazy he kind of gets with some of this stuff. It's just so heartbreaking. All the people who put their honest faith into something that was yeah a drug induced and i don't person. i don't think he started that no, way i don't think it wasn't that i think until like i don't know maybe san francisco you know I, I don't know when exactly and it could have been like he's just super stressed and scared of all of these things and but he headed into a road where he is a crazy person and the other thing that people aren't, aren't quite sure of is is he really paranoid, or is he just using this as a way to control people? Is is this just the method of control? Uh, you know, why would similar you want to when to? he stages the 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 fake uh, the six oh, day siege? I, yeah, is that was definitely a staged thing. He knows it's fake, but he's doing it to get the people. See, they're. I told you they're coming after you. I told you. Yeah, he. he is. What else could explain all the people shooting out there? But so nobody really knows what level this is his paranoia. His parenting, like, <laughs> you get a little leeway in parenting to lie to your kids sometimes. But this is this is ew. Yeah, I just this whole thing, and I didn't dive as deep as you did because I was under the weather. But this whole thing was you just are done researching and you just feel sick. Like, you're just like, I don't feel good. I feel like. And the the truth is, I feel ugh. more confused about what really happened after trying to find out what really happened. Yeah, because it doesn't make any sense. Nothing there's no makes logic a lot of sense. It. And there's so many goofy things that happen and so many crazy allegations by people that, yeah. that end up happening. But and, there's, I mean, even with Leo Ryan, that's crazy because he comes yeah, he so on November 14th, around. 1978, he, his plane flies into Georgetown. He spends a couple days trying to get into Jonestown. So he flies in on the I 14th. It was 77. Was it 78? It's 78. Mm. And then in, it's November. Mm. He has all these kind of strange things happen. His, you know, uh, he had hotel reservations that got canceled, and so he had to sleep in... Uh, like just the hotel lobby, like he didn't have a place like, to stay. If you don't think that's going to make him go home? He and, just flew on an airplane forever. And, and then you know <laughs> that he calls in, "Hey, can we come to Jonestown?" They're like, "No, we're not. We're not letting you in." And he's like, "Well, we're you know, we, we got to come. We got to check on these people." So he finally gets the okay to. So he flies to that airstrip that's not too far from Jonestown, which is literally just there's no airport. It's nope. just in a big strip of land. So he flies in there, uh, ends up going in with these, you know, reporters, reporters into Jonestown. It is truly bizarre, like, what mm-hmm. ends up happening. Some people say, hey, can we go home with you? Yeah, so, mm-hmm. but says, a lot of the yep. others are are acting like this is the best place they've ever yeah. You know, they are so happy to be there. They're so happy that this place exists, and they're so happy that Jim Jones is there, and they talk about how great it is. They give them tours of all the places. and But but somebody 
uh, goes and slips a note to one of the NBC reporters thinking that it's Leo Ryan that says, you know, help us get out of here. Me and this lady want to leave. Help us get out. Uh, They end up interviewing. They just start interviewing everybody. Hey, do you want to leave? You know, are you happy here? How are they treating you? You know, what's life like? Are you getting medical care? Do you have enough food? They just start interviewing people. And several of them, like you said, say, we would like to leave. Mm-hmm. And I think it something along the lines of like 14 to 20 people say, yeah, we would like to leave with you when you, when you leave. So that was on the 17th, I think, of November when they start talking to people. They come back on the 18th and finish talking to people. And then they're ready to pack up, to to the pack up and leave. Mm-hmm. And so they head they back head to, to the, the airstrip. With, I think they said they, they were, I can't remember if it was 14 or 20. They have, I think, 20 people from Jonestown who said, yeah, we would like to leave with you. So these people go with them back to the airstrip. And this is out of a, about 1,000 people. Yeah. So it's not like a huge chunk, though it is a lot of people. There are over 1,000 people who are essentially living in mm-hmm. Jonestown. Some of them live in Georgetown. But there's yeah. thousands of people down as part of this People's Temple group in Guyana, and 20 of them say, yes, we would like to leave with you. So they well, go. This hurts somebody's feelings. This hurt Jim Jones's feelings. It hurt Jim Jones's feelings. And he is mad. So he sends a group to the airstrip to murder everybody on the plane. Now, he does not. He does not successfully kill every single person. But he killed five people, including Leo Ryan, and 11 other people were wounded. Yeah, so one of the 20 people who said they wanted to leave was actually a People's Temple mole. And he went with them with the intention. He was armed, and he went with the intention of taking these people out. But then another group from the People's Temple came with essentially assault rifles. So you had the one mole who starts shooting people with his handgun and then these other people with assault rifles. The guy in the handgun with the handgun gets essentially um, overtaken by the other people uh, from the People's Temple that are leaving. So they wrestle you know, him Whoa. and stop him, but I think he had killed some people. These other people, they shoot up and then go back to Jonestown. And as this is kind of happening, Jim Jones starts talking to the people in Jonestown saying, it's over. And he says, you know, I I can tell you that those planes aren't going to make it home. They're going to get shot out of the sky. You know, I I, I think he says, you know, the pilot's going to get shot. There's nothing I can do about it. They're, and then they're going to come after us because of this. So they're going to come after us, and we have to decide what to do. And I think we should have a revolutionary act of suicide. We have no other options. They'll either come kill us, or we take that away from them, and we kill ourselves in an act of revolution. I have realized the timeline has gotten away from me, because I had thought that Ryan had visited in 77. Because 
Jim Jones had obtained a jeweler's license in 1976. And under his jeweler's license, he was allowed a half pound of cyanide to be shipped to him every month. And he was taking those shipments and storing them up. And in May of 1978, so that's why my timeline was all wrong. In May, Jones asks to test the poison on a pig because it has similar metabolism. And then, fairly soon after that, he calls everybody together and he says, I have this, and it was actually Flavor-Aid, but everyone calls it Kool-Aid. And he's like, and it will kill you in 45 minutes after you drink it. And he's like, and I want you all to drink it. So everybody lined up. They drank this juice, this Flavor-Aid, and in 45 minutes, none of them were dead. And so they're like, what's going on? And he says, this was a loyalty test. I needed to see who would do this. He's like, the real thing is coming soon. So then when this whole thing must have happened with with Leo Ryan, he's like, now it's time. And not only that, at that same time, one of the ladies who from the People's Temple went to um, the embassy, the U.S. embassy in Georgetown, and tells the uh, I don't, director, you know, whoever the, the person is there, says, just so you know, like, they are practicing ritual suicide mm-hmm. over there. They have the means, and they are practicing. They are practicing. This. They were. They they did. They practiced. And and they had, they said that they were actually like I think like three times that they had practiced Whoa. a drill. To, yeah. And he would he would go onto this loudspeaker they have, and and just tell people to gather. And if it was with guns, he'd say alert, alert, alert. And if it was for other things, he'd tell them to gather. Just be like, it's time. Yeah, and so this information does kind of make it back, but this lady that she signed an affidavit and saying that they were doing this, and that affidavit basically just got lost. They found it in the the safe in the embassy uh, after you know they start uh. doing the investigation. Uh, but it, I think the information had gotten out because I think that was one of the things that. You know, hey, there's allegations of this going on that they're potentially getting, you know, prepared to kill themselves over. And they had actually referenced that in letters too, saying over like that uh, John Stone guy saying, if you take him away, we'll we'll kill ourselves. Well, you know, or others is what you know, kind of what the letter says. So they had referenced this to, in previous cases saying that this was an option so then on that day when they when leo ryan got you know killed he's talking to everybody and they're people are saying you know can't we go to russia you know because they they were feeling like they're this communist and they had actually there's a russian embassy in yeah a soviet embassy yeah, Soviet embassy. And at the time, Guyana, I believe, was a socialist country. It was a socialist mm-hmm. country. Because in 1966, it had been a British colony, but Britain was dumping a lot of its overseas territories, probably, I don't know, for many different reasons. And so Guyana ended up getting a socialist leader named Forbes Burnham, and he made the country socialist. So that's why it was so appealing to Jim Jones is... Yeah, these yeah, are comrades. That's fine. 
they they won't be against us. Yeah, it's not like these crazy capitalists who who don't want us here. And and another interesting thing is on that, you know, November eighteenth, he had sent three people with millions of dollars and yes. a bunch of gold to the Soviet embassy to make sure that you know their money got uh, away. Yes. So this is really fascinating to me because, and you might know more of this because this is kind of where I was like, I didn't dive deeper and I really wanted to, is so it happens and everyone, he orders the revolutionary suicide and the the whole group drinks the flavor aid or Kool-Aid laced with cyanide and sedatives. And 918 people died, including 304 children under the age of 18, including John, the little boy. He did die in this, in this revolutionary suicide. But Jones was shot. Do you have information? Two people were shot. That? Two people were shot? Two people were shot. Nobody knows who shot Jim Jones. Yeah. So I'm like, was somebody mad? Or was he just like, I'm going to take this money and I'm going to put it over here with these guys and I'm going to go with this because I can't help. I mean, this is where my brain that watches movies goes, where it's like it seems like he was like, yeah, you're all done. But he did not drink oh, the Kool-Aid. Drink the Kool-Aid. He didn't drink it. And I think uh, <sighs> like I just think of all of those innocent people who. I don't know, we're either feeling scared or really believing in this. And he was, it's just like in all the bad movies <laughs> you watch. Yeah. There's like a psych episode where something like this, but different happens. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I mean, they're referencing this. And, and it's really interesting because nobody knows, but I think the official thing is that they basically are saying, eh, there's a good chance it was a suicide. It was a close-up uh, shot uh, to his head and... It could have been a suicide. Where the gun was found ranges from on his chest to 200 yards away, but I think the official thing was that it was like three feet away from him. Okay, but here's the thing. Who gives a crap about your millions of dollars? Who gives a crap if nobody's there to spend it? And he sent some of his favorite people out to take it to the Soviet embassy. So were you just donating it? And well, if you're donating it, so why can't there is just... a potential explanation. <laughs> yeah, in that not everybody in the People's Temple came to Guyana. He still had tons oh, of people yeah. in California that were still members that hadn't come over. Whether or not uh, that's what any of it, you know, was, I have no idea. It makes a less entertaining movie, but yeah, yeah. But you have no idea. Like nobody knows, and the, this is where things start getting crazy is you get into all right so what what's the real story and you get all these different versions and there's a guy uh, one of like leo ryan's aides i think his name was like joe halsinger or something like that he was on the you know the the airstrip with ryan he survives a couple hours later he gets a call from the white house saying, you know, what's going on? And he's saying, you know, a bunch of people are dead, Leo Ryan's dead, blah, blah, blah. And the White House says to him, um, you know, we have a CIA report from on the scene. 
and it and it doesn't really ring a bell with him until later when so he's like somebody was how does how did they have him in there because and, and that's what he's saying is how how would oh. they know and one of the things that they say is there's um his, his name was uh dwyer he was the uh guy at the embassy uh richard dwyer so he was the deputy chief and some people say he is the one that was potentially the cia but what's very interesting is there's a tape recording on the last day when everybody's dying, and one of the last things that Jim Jones says is, get Dwyer out of here. And this is when Dwyer is supposedly gone at the airstrip. And the truth is, Dwyer got shot at the airstrip. But four times, Jim Jones mentions Dwyer's name right before he dies. And so people are saying, you know, that's the CIA source. Oh, so he got quote unquote shot. Right. So he died so that they didn't have to. But nobody knows what's going on. with. But anyway, the CIA source could be. So he's not making the recordings though, right? Like Jim I have Jones no idea. Is making the recordings. I have no idea why There's there are so many recordings. Here. I hate secrets. Secrets, secrets are no fun. Secrets, secrets hurt someone. I feel like it has to be somebody inside Jones's organization that's making well, the recordings. It's so, yeah. I mean, it's not like you can really hide all that much. <laughs> I've been to the Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. I've seen some of the cool gadgets they had in the 70s, and they're... Not that inconspicuous, but they kind yeah. of might have been. I mean, the one guy with the umbrella. And, the and you never know, it. but at the same time, like I said, they're, they've got recordings of them talking about how to smuggle stuff into the country. Yeah, but if Why it would was you record the CIA yourself? who was doing that, that would make sense. Right. And, and the, here's another and interesting. it would make sense why he's telling them to lie, and that's what they record. Like, that would make sense. And and so the people are kind of thinking that, oh, maybe there was this connection. You know, maybe somebody's doing an investigation. Maybe one of the crazy conspiracies is that Jim Jones was working with the CIA. Why? So, remember, like, MK Ultra sort of stuff? No. So, yes, I, of course. I mean, I do. That was a surprise no. So. I don't believe that. I'm not sure what to believe. Part of me really doesn't believe it, but one of the things that's interesting is that there was a court case, uh, Ryan versus the United States. So Leo Ryan was the congressman. After he dies, they sue the government uh, to basically get money for his kids, saying the government was negligent. In the, the lawsuit that they bring against the United States, they say, look, the... Leo Ryan went to the State Department several times and was asking about, you know, this place, Jonestown, and never got any information. We have information that suggests that the State Department knew of things that were going on in Jonestown. They knew of the kidnappings. They knew of the intimidation. They knew of whatever. But in the uh, lawsuit, they say, you know, on information and belief at the Jonestown Colony, or Colony was infiltrated with agents of the Central Intelligence Agency of the United States. On information and belief, 
The name of one said agent was Philip Blakely, a trusted aide of People's Temple leader James Warren Jones. Jim Jones. On information and belief that said agents were working with the Department of State and the Central Intelligence Agency to use the Jonestown Colony as a massive mind control experiment as part of the Central Intelligence Agency's MK Ultra program. What? On information and this belief that massive quantities lawsuit? of mind control drugs. This is in drugs, the lawsuit? This is in the lawsuit. Oh, no. Massive quantities of mind control drugs were found at the Jonestown Colony after the fatal incident of November 18, 1978. They had kids. They had kids. 300 kids died. 300 kids died, but they found like tens of thousands of doses of things like... Uh, uh, Demerol, Thorazine, and a bunch of other drugs that they're saying, why would they have these drugs? And those were also drugs that they say were used in MKUltra. What? But there's no other... So, so I tried to look into this. They, when they, was this court case? Uh, let me see if it shows on here. Uh, so it was filed in the state of California... Um, I don't think it has the date. So it's a complaint for damages for the wrongful death. And they're essentially asking for millions of dollars for uh, the expenses. You know, $3 million is what they're asking for to take care of the kids. Oh, 1980. July 31st, 1980 is when the that wow. thing. But if you go look into who this Philip Blakely was, he was, I think, 25 years old at the um, time of the massacre. Mighty, but there are photos of him helping to build Jonestown when he's like 20 years old. And people are saying, you think that's the CIA agent? Is this 20-year-old kid that's building, you know, spends five well, years building this? And, and it could have been. But I, I don't know that there's any real proof for anything, but there were several former members of the People's Temple who have stepped forward and said that they do think that maybe Jim Jones was like a CIA operative. But what? that could just be them saying, you know, I got, I got duped or whatever, so, <laughs> you know, obviously... You know, I wouldn't be duped by some normal fella. Oh, in 1982, it says here. Oh, what? They're, I'm confused. And there are some other Ryan there versus the United States. There are some other States. cases. Because so, this one isn't at all. This is somebody else. Yeah. United States versus Leighton. But it has to do with um, the trip to Guyana. I'm not going to find it in this sort but of this, this, I hate it when I can't go down all the rabbit holes I want to. Now I'm bugged. <laughs> Joe Halsinger guy who was there and got the phone call, he started, he actually ran to replace Leo Ryan's position in as the congressman in California, but he made several statements saying the official story that they're telling you doesn't line up. I... And there are a bunch of other people who say some of the things don't line up, but most of what other people say don't doesn't line up. So one of the survivors, there were there were seven people who survived who were at Jonestown. So those hundred people who survived were like in Guyana, but most of them were 
not well, in Jonestown. There were we seven a, people in Jonestown. A story that survived that we read. Um, one of our, one of our people in, that we are connected to had a sister who was in Georgetown. Georgetown. I get confused. There's too many names that sound like each other, but she was in Georgetown. And when it came up that this was happening and they were doing that revolutionary suicide, she then, um, she was told, this is really interesting from the, from the sources that we have. She was told to kill their enemies with knives and then to kill themselves. And instead she couldn't gather everybody together and she didn't want to do that. So she just killed herself, her friend and the kids. And it was horrible and sad. And there's so much weird stuff. And so I remember somebody's report. This was a guy who, um, there's a huge section on all the Jonestown stuff that's at the San Diego State University website. And it has so many things. It's really amazing what they've compiled. But they've talked to tons of people that had been involved with the People's Temple. And it is so interesting getting their perspective of the People's Temple in general. And one of the guys that they talked to, he was kind of higher up he he worked in LA and he kind of ran the LA people's temple you know section and he said that he had decided to leave the people's temple at at some point they did something that kind of made him uncomfortable but he says you know I ran for my life I've been hiding for 25 years and when I left what I had to do was I took all my belongings I put them in a trunk and I dropped them out a window so that I could walk past the bodyguard without anything. And then I grabbed my stuff and took it and ran. They came after me. I had a wig on and a trench coat. And I went to the bus station. I saw them looking for me at the bus station. But I got away and I've been living in Colorado for 25 years. Holy cow. And then he goes on to say, I love the People's Temple. It was the best thing that I ever did. And he's talking about how great it is. So is he leaving because he's afraid he's going to get caught He's by afraid the he's going to get killed by the People's Temple, who there are, there's a... Still? 25 years after? Well, that's when he, after 25 years, he says, okay, now I know I'm safe. And he writes an article saying, this was my experience, and now I'm okay talking about it, for, but for 25 years, I was afraid. Oh. But... There was a, you know, one of the concerned relatives that spoke up said uh, they have a phone call of um, their kid calling and saying, I'm leaving the People's Temple, and they recorded it. Three days later, that guy was found dead. And there's multiple people who said, you know, we felt like we were going to be threatened, and we received threats saying, you know, if you leave, we're coming after you. How could you get so many people on board with it? It like, is so bizarre. And and I, mean, I don't even It's a religion. Know. I mean, it's about doing good. It's about being kind. It's not even about like, hey, we're at war. You don't get to leave. Like, I mean, even then they don't do that. But I I mean, they, they had the, they had special homes for the elderly and they had special yep. homes for them to for the um, cognitively impaired like they. They did so many good things. I don't know how you do so many good things and then be like, 
they're leaving. I, I understand you feel sad. I can understand that, but, and even upset, but to like start killing people because they leave, it just, and they did kill themselves. And to know how much we truth there care. is to that, but there is, uh, there were several instances where people were saying, yeah, you know, I received threats when I Whoa. spoke out. And, uh, a bunch of people who have kind of testimonies saying, yeah, you know, I I left and I ran. I would get phone calls saying that, you know, somebody's coming for me. Absolutely heartbreaking. And it's so bizarre because a lot of these people had, they, they liked the People's Temple. You know, a lot of the people who were, were a part of this really look back on it fondly. Even in this guy who said he ran for his life. Weird had nothing but good things to say and was saying, you know, it was a, they did so much good, you know, and I was looking for a place that did good and well, these guys did it. makes me wonder why it would be a government program. And I, I have a hard time believing that, but there is a lot of weird stuff because people were saying, you know, all right, how did they get all the guns and, and stuff, you know, in there? And I think, I don't think that would be that hard. Well, how did they get all the drugs in there? Like the they had tens of thousands of doses of drugs. Uh, oh, it's hard to believe anybody, though. I have to be honest. Like, part of me is like, were they there? Were they there? Or was I think this that they were there. To so, uh, it? And, and you don't know, because one of the things that people talk about is that, uh, people at the People's Temple in Guiana supposedly had got like medical reviews like almost every week you'd go and they're saying there's no records of any of that like everything's gone but you know the 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 crazy people are saying yeah that you know every week they would go in and get uh potentially you know drugged up given their their dosage or whatever and one of the conspiracies goes and said they're you know they had three different groups, you know, one on this drug, one on this drug, and a controlled group. And then they were seeing how, you know, how they would all behave in these different circumstances. And the, the story's so crazy. That you, th- you know, what's just crazier that a when bunch of people? When did MK Ultra end? Now I must know. This... Before 1973. Wow. So 1973, MK Ultra. That so I think 1973 was when they the destroyed States. all the MK Ultra records. But I think it was still going on in San Francisco when he moved his headquarters to San Francisco. But there's no other real... But he'd already been a preacher for a really long time. for a really long time. But there are... Because he was born in the 30s. He was born in the 30s. He started preaching in the 50s. Yeah, so he'd been a long time. And then he moved to California in like the 60s. So... But that was, California was huge for the drug experimentation. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't, I don't know how much, road. <laughs> I don't know how much truth there is to any of it, but it's hard to believe that you could convince 900 people to commit revolutionary, you know, suicide in the first place. <sighs> because that's the But some the people story. ran off, you know. Well, there were three guys who. Seven people who were at Jonestown. Kind there of were, ran off. There were no that the left the the compound. What like? Oh, what, yeah. One lady went with her kid. 
because she said they were going to go for a picnic. And yeah. then they walked for 35 miles until they found someone to help them. And another guy left, too. And, and the what people were saying, too, is, like, they had to walk through jungle. the jungle. Because mm-hmm. if you take the road, the you know, the people's temple people will come find you. Because they would uh, kind of do, like, a roll call sort of thing. Oh, no. So they, one, one of the guys says, you know, you have a couple hours until they notice that you're gone. And then they'll come looking for you. Well, that's why the lady had to say she was going on a picnic. Yeah. And another guy left as well. And and, and it's really interesting, too, because they talk about, you know, there's recordings, you know, transcripts of Jim Jones talking about one of the guys who left and saying, you know, what a, you know, traitor and whatever else, the, you know, this guy is. And he's probably telling all sorts of lies about us. And so we got to you know, be ready. I'm talking day up. Oh, that I'm was the day, day up. The, the, the mom and her kid left day so up. So th- this guy had left like way earlier. Mm. But they talked, there were seven survivors at Jonestown. And one of them is saying, like, you can't convince me that all these people drank, you know, they, that all, they drank the Kool-Aid voluntarily. But they'd done it three times before. Like, I don't, I don't. So this particular guy, he says, you know, I saw bodies. They brought me back to identify bodies. The I don't remember if it was the next day. You know, he had gone to Georgetown, oh, and they brought him in. And he said, I saw abscesses on people between their shoulder blades. Two hundred people he thinks were were uh, killed. So with what injection? they were saying with the Kool Aid is that they wouldn't even drink it. They'd put it in a syringe and shoot it into people's mouth. And he's saying what? the ones that wouldn't drink it, they shot it into the, like their Body? back, in, and that you could see where they had done it, and that nobody would talk about that. They just said, "Nope, they all drank it on purpose." And he's saying, "You know, you, you can't convince me that that's true." That's terrifying. And you don't know if it's because, because if you're part of that, I mean, when you're part of Jonestown, because the truth is, I look at Jonestown and. Without the massacre part, like, I get it. You know, like, this is uh, this is that, you know, hey, we want to go start our own thing and we want to be in charge of ourselves and do whatever. And I think I can totally Wait, understand that. I'm going to call the CIA on you. <laughs> you Just kidding. They, say they, they but... probably already got a file. <laughs> but From one, our of the, podcast. <laughs> one of the guys, the Washington Post reporter that had gone down, he wrote, you know, the truth was, I admired Jim Jones's goals. It seemed to me that the People's Temple had a legitimate purpose, a noble purpose, and was more or less succeeding. So he wrote that just hours before the attack at the airstrip. So he thought that that this was actually, you know, he was actually pretty impressed with the place. Yeah, and the friend that we know whose sister was down there, she said she met Jim Jones and she thought he was charismatic. And that he seemed like a really nice guy. Yeah, and, and I think that that was, I think he must have been very you, charismatic. You have to be. You have to be. <laughs> you can't be the mean, cantankerous soul and get everybody to come to your group. But it's such a bizarre story because I honestly think without the, the like the mass suicide or whatever, like a lot of it makes sense. You got these people who find 
an organization that they think is doing good in the world. Yeah. And that, all right, we're going to go start our own community and we'll be in charge of ourselves and we'll live the way we want to. And all of it makes complete sense to me until they all kill themselves. Well, it's not uncommon in history that people who feel oppressed leave a place, which is how the United States started as the current America that it is, because people were being oppressed for their religion, and then they found a new place to be. And so, of course, you can wrap your head around it, but when it comes to taking children and then killing people, and I think it just gets too wild for me. And it gets really crazy, like you're saying, with that stone kid. Oh, yeah. Jim Jones you know, made this guy sign a document saying that Jim Jones was the legitimate you know, father. And... And why would you do that? And, and it's, yeah, so yeah. bizarre. And there were a ton of stories around that same thing that they convinced uh, this this lady to say that that was her kid when, you know, when they're going to Guyana. So they're, they can kind of hide the fact that this is, you know, this Unattached kid is being kidnapped. Child. They're like, oh, no, this is her kid. And she's playing along with it because she... I assume believes that that's the best thing to yeah. do, but it is so bizarre because that you if could you convince think about, somebody to you know, do you, that. you're let's say World War II, and you're in Europe, and or Germany, and and you have a Jewish child, and there is a non-Jewish person standing there, and they're like, "Is that child Jewish?" You'd be like, "No, no, this child's mine." You know, to save that child, like I can wrap my head around how how it can. Like people can buy into these things, I can I can make it there, but once you hit the point where you're terrified and scared, and 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 they're telling you, you know, here's your Kool Aid test. Like, I I just think, and then you're tra- you're trapped 150 miles away from civilization. Like, that is terrifying. Like it it quickly shifted for me to being terrifying. I don't, I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. And I know that after this, I'm probably going to listen to some really fun music to cheer <laughs> myself up because it makes me sad. Yeah. It, this this one was just such an odd story. And it really, it, I think it's even sadder when you go in and you read some of the accounts of people, you know, People who had been people's temple. Maybe it's members. best that I was sick this week because I would just cry. <laughs> because I hate this. Yeah. And I think you had mentioned there was the guy that survived that talks about, you know, he hates when people say things like drinking the Kool Aid yeah, and using it like as. Like people were stupid. And because he knew everybody and he, he loved, you know, he thought these were the best people in the world and everybody's making it out like they're. Just a bunch of dummies. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I, and I totally get where he's coming from, but at the same time, you know, when you're outside of that and you see this happen, it's hard not to think that. Mm-hmm. It's so hard just to think, like, just don't drink it, don't. But I got one last uh, quote, and this is from one of the survivors. So this is a fellow named Tim Carter, and he was one of the ones who was at Jonestown on the day and that escaped. And he was saying, you know, he went back to write some stuff about it. And he's, you know, here's his quote. 
when confronted with such an enormously obscene event such as the Jonestown tragedy, the mind naturally seeks simple explanations. The normal person will search for tidy characterizations and familiar stereotypes that attempt to make sense of the nonsensical, that offer rational comfort for, which, for that which is appallingly irrational, that allow for safe disassociation from the reflection in one's personal mirror which says, that could have been me. And I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, you're looking at something not realizing how close you could be to, you know, like I said, I oh, yeah. that people's temple idea sounds pretty cool until the last part. And so I could totally see how people could get caught up in that, but just a very bizarre thing that I don't think there's any real explanation. I have a hard time believing the CIA, MK, Ultra sort of aspect, but I have a hard time believing the other way, too. I know, so. I know. But, but it is nice to be on guard for that kind of stuff. It's true. But it then does make you if, if somebody wary says they heal, you know, can heal cancer, and then they <laughs> walk around with a bag, bag. of a cancer, I think it's <laughs> safe to be kind of skeptical. Jim Jones also uh, claimed to have been shot and to have healed himself. Well, he didn't that second time. He didn't the second time. First time, he says he got shot in the chest and that he healed it all with his uh, magic healing powers. I. You know, because when you say that, I'm like, okay, maybe they are trying to filter the gullible people. Like, maybe they maybe they really were, but I don't know. I uh... Yeah, I don't, and like, I'm kind of with Tim Carter. I don't think there's, you, you can look for an explanation. You can look for whatever. I don't know that you'll find, I couldn't find anything that made anything make sense. No. Mm-mm. So, but it was interesting to learn about and a story in like u.s history that although the main part happened in guiana but a story that i think doesn't get told and it's kind of lost in history and so i thought it was a fun topic definitely i would not say fun but (laughs) definitely interesting and super heavy so next week we're going to talk about the making of balloons because that (laughs) seems light just kidding but I, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it, I'm always glad to learn a little bit about these, any of these events. I, I want to know about history and I want to share that. So there, check that off the list. Let's, let's not come back here. <laughs> All right. Jonestown done. Got it. We'll move on. All right. Thanks everyone. Bye.